Hey y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means you might hear two hosts. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's December 21st. A bomb exploded aboard Pan Am Flight 103 on this day in 1988 over the town of Lockerbie, Scotland. This was a Boeing 747 that had taken off from London 38 minutes before, and it was bound for New York. All 259 people aboard the aircraft were killed, as were 11 people on the ground as the wreckage from the plane crashed into houses and streets in Lockerbie. The victims aboard the aircraft included 35 students who were studying abroad through Syracuse University, as well as people from numerous other nations. The following day, authorities announced that it appeared that the explosion may have been an act of sabotage, not some kind of an accident. Authorities also released a warning that day known as the Helsinki Warning. This was an anonymous phone call to the U.S. Embassy in Helsinki, Finland, And the phone call had said that a terrorist organization may be using an unsuspecting passenger to smuggle a bomb onto a Pan Am flight. Although there were uncanny similarities between this warning and the bombing of Flight 103, it was determined that they were unrelated. Although people were outraged when they learned that this warning had existed and they had known nothing about it. Soon it was announced that there had been a bomb in the airplane's forward luggage compartment. The bomb was hidden in a tape recorder and placed in an unaccompanied bag in Malta that had been transferred to a Pan Am flight to London after landing in Germany and then from there onto a flight bound for New York. Two suspects emerged. Abdel Basset Ali Mohammed Al-Magrahi and Al-Amin Khalifa Fima, both of them of Libya, They were indicted on November 13th of 1991. They worked for Libyan Arab Airlines, and they were also accused of being Libyan intelligence agents. At first, though, Libya refused to extradite them to Scotland to stand trial, and this led the United Nations to impose sanctions on Libya. Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi also wanted the trial to take place in a neutral country. So part of an airbase outside of Amsterdam was declared Scottish territory, so the trial could be held under Scottish law. It was only after this was agreed to that Libya finally agreed on December 16, 1988, to turn the suspects over. This was more than seven years after the indictment. And then it was April of the following year by the time the suspects were actually handed over to UN authorities to stand trial. The trial began on May 3rd, 2000, and there were three judges with a fourth as a reserve. After hearing eight months of testimony from 232 witnesses, they issued their verdict on January 31st of 2001. Al-Magrahi was found guilty, and FEMA was found not guilty. Al-Magrahi appealed, but that appeal failed, and eight years later, he received a compassionate release when he was diagnosed with terminal prostate cancer. He died in 2012, a little less than three years after that release. In 2003, Libya took formal responsibility for this bombing after years of insisting that Libya as a nation was not involved, although Gaddafi himself did not take personal responsibility for it. Gaddafi did agree to a $2.7 billion settlement to be paid to the families of those who were killed. 
Other suspects were announced to exist in 2015, and there continue to be a lot of hypotheses about this bombing, about who was involved, whether it was some kind of multinational conspiracy, but no one else has ever been convicted. It is certain that there were other people involved. In response to the bombing, there was increased airport security all over the world. The FAA also fined Pan Am due to security breaches that had happened on the day of the bombing. Thanks to Eve's Jeffcoat for her research work on today's show and to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on this show. You can subscribe to this day in history class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can tune in tomorrow for an infamous and wrongful conviction. Hey everyone, I'm Eves, and welcome back to This Day in History class, a podcast where we unwrap a piece of history candy every day. The day was December 21st, 1826. After declaring independence from Mexico, brothers Hayden and Benjamin Edwards and their rebel followers proclaimed the Republic of Fredonia and signed a Declaration of Independence. The revolt was short-lived. A month after it began, the rebels fled to the United States as Mexican military forces advanced. Mexico gained independence from Spain in 1821, creating the first Mexican empire. Two years later, the emperor abdicated the throne, and in 1824, Mexico adopted a republican constitution. One issue Mexico faced was figuring out how to increase population in the northern department of Texas and secure the area from Native Americans and other Americans seeking land. In August of 1824, the Mexican government passed a national colonization law that set some guidelines for people immigrating into Mexico. Each Mexican state was directed to create its own statutes around the general colonization law. One of the states of the new federal republic was Coahuila y Tejas, which set up a system where, among other regulations regarding immigration, impresarios could petition the government to bring 100 or more families to the state at their expense. An impresario was a person who entered into a contract with the Mexican government to bring a certain number of families to Texas in exchange for land grants. In 1825, land speculator Hayden Edwards got a grant from the Mexican government to bring up to 800 new families to the area around Nacogdoches in eastern Texas. His contract required him to uphold all land grants in the area that had been certified by the Spanish and Mexican governments. It also required that he set up a militia to protect the colonists and that he allow a land commissioner appointed by the government to certify awarded deeds. But when he got to Nacogdoches, he demanded that previous landowners would have to present evidence of their land claims or forfeit the land. Of course, this was a controversial move. Many of the people in the area had families who'd lived there for decades, so their legal titles were lost. Some people who lived there were former residents of the Neutral Ground, an area to the east inhabited by many fugitives. Some were Native Americans who had history there before Spanish colonization, or those who had been forced out of the U.S. There were squatters there, and there were many Anglo-Americans in the area, some who had come as filibusters. All that to say, residents were not happy with Edwards' demands. He began recruiting families in the U.S. for immigration into Nacogdoches. 
the alcalde, or chief administrative and judicial officer of Nacogdoches, as well as the town clerk, worked to validate old land titles once they found out Edwards got his grant. Edwards accused them of forging land titles to his detriment, and soon Edwards was calling for elections for a new alcalde, even though he wasn't officially allowed to do so. Either way, Edwards' son-in-law, Chichester Chaplin, took the office after a disputed election. But supporters of Chaplin's opponent, Samuel Norris, contested the decision. And in March of 1826, Jose Antonio Saucedo, the political chief of Texas in Bexar, reversed the results of the election on the claim that illegal votes had been cast for Chaplin. Norris became alcalde. This did not sit well with Edwards and his supporters. And related and unrelated conflicts continued in Nacogdoches throughout 1826. Hayden's brother Benjamin was left in charge of the town, while Hayden went to the U.S. to recruit more families. And during this time, tensions between old and new residents escalated. By the end of September, Hayden's grant was revoked. This annulment was on the basis of him declaring himself military commander, forcing people to show their land titles or be evicted, and other wrongdoings. Hayden and Benjamin were ordered to leave Mexico, but they resisted the order. In November, a group of around 40 men from the Irish Bayou entered Nacogdoches and arrested Samuel Norris, Hayden Edwards, and others. Hayden was released, possibly because he was arrested to hide his own involvement in the affair. But the others were tried and convicted. Mexican authorities soon sent dragoons and infantrymen to the area. The Edwards prepared to fight. They determined that they would have to break from Mexico to protect their land investment. On December 16th, Benjamin rode into Nacogdoches with a group of armed men and seized the old stone fort. The rebels raised a red and white flag that said, Independence, Liberty, and Justice. The red represented the Cherokee and the white, the white rebels. Hayden declared himself commander-in-chief of the Republic of Fredonia, and Martin Palmer became commander of the military. Many others joined the rebellion. Palmer negotiated a treaty with the Cherokee for mutual support, and the rebels signed a declaration of independence on December 21st. But the rebellion didn't go anywhere. The rebels didn't get much help from the Cherokee, and the Texian militia and Mexican troops forced the rebels to flee toward the Sabine River and into Louisiana. The rebellion was over by the end of January, but it increased the Mexican government's wariness of immigration from the U.S., and it caused more tension between white colonists and indigenous tribes. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Feel free to share your thoughts or your innermost feelings with us and with other listeners on social media at T-D-I-H-C podcast. And you can send your thoughts or comments to us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We'll see you again tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.